So this is just the beginning. We have a theme verse for this series. It's coming out of Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now the New Living Translation, it puts it this way. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Does that sound like a pretty good deal? That you can experience infinitely more than your wildest dreams. Now, there's a few caveats to that, and we'll get into it. But it all starts back in the beginning, in the garden. That Adam and Eve, they chose their own way rather than God's way. There was the temptation to believe that God was somehow holding out on them. Well, you won't really die if you eat of this tree. And so they go ahead and they, they give in to temptation. They put themselves first. They think that they have a better plan than God. I, I imagine Adam and Eve, as they're standing there listening to the serpent's tempt. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I imagine, I think God is holding out. And they begin to trust their own thinking rather than what God has already said. Because he already talked to them. He already told them what would be necessary. And then afterward, though, after they had fallen into that sin, an interesting thing is recorded in Genesis 3.15. God is doling out the consequences. He's explaining what their choices are going to mean. And when he addresses the serpent, he says that I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Many scholars believe that this is the first reference to Jesus coming to take away the sin of the world. That that offspring of Eve would be Christ, who would crush the serpent's head in defeating death on the cross. But, you know, that's not where it all stops. You know, God's plan, our our first point here, is that God's plan leads us to the cross. See, when we come to the cross, we have to acknowledge that I have sinned. I have fallen short of what God's perfection and plan is. And And only when I acknowledge my sin can I experience the forgiveness of sin. You know, you think about maybe a child has has come and said um, that their brother or sister has been picking on them, and and you you find out, okay, one has been mistreating the other, and now we're looking for an apology. We're looking for a confession, right? Okay, I have sinned. I have done wrong. And we're looking for that owning up. To the truth. And you can tell when the pride of that child does not want to own up to the truth, right? You can see it. And and you might see it in adults who are acting like children, who you know they've done wrong and they just won't mess up. They won't tell you the truth. But when we acknowledge the truth, that's what we come to the foot of the cross. We recognize that it was my sin that needed to be dealt with. Not somebody else's sin, my sin. That I have wicked intentions in my heart. That I am evil. I am a sinner. And I need to be saved. See, because if you don't believe you need to be saved, then you don't need a Savior, right? I'm my own Savior. I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. 
I'll, I'll add him on. He's like an add-on to my web browser. It's going to make things run smoother. You know, like, no, Jesus is not an add-on to your life. He's the beginning of life. And so God's plan is to lead us to the cross where we will admit our sin and recognize that we need a Savior. Looking at the New Testament, in John chapter 1, verse 29, the John the baptizer is who's being referenced here. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice John doesn't say, Look, the man who will make all people's lives better. Oh, look, the one who will fulfill all of our hopes and dreams and desires. No, he takes away the sin of the world. It's your sin, my sin. Verse 30, he is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. In verse 31, I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. I saw this happen to Jesus, John records. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So Jesus comes on the scene. We're at the riverbank. And all these people are coming, confessing their sins, saying, I need God. I need to turn back to him. We're repenting. We're turning to God, confessing sin, and they're getting this baptism, this washing that symbolizes the washing of sin and the restoration of relationship. And Jesus, as he comes, he says, let's, let's do this, John, and we'll fulfill all righteousness. Baptize me. John doesn't feel worthy. But he baptizes Jesus in the same water as everybody else, and the Holy Spirit, in visible form as a dove, comes and descends on him. And then John, knowing that God had already spoken ahead of time, there will be one who will come, and you'll see this happen, and he's the one that I have appointed. And so Jesus is that one. There's a few things to note in that scripture. We're going to move on, and we'll come back to it. Let me look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing to believers in Rome. They are in a situation, in a culture that is surrounded by sin, surrounded by wickedness. And he says this to those folks in that time, and I think it applies to us today. Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We don't have to get cleaned up in order to come to Jesus. We're a mess, and we can't possibly clean ourselves up, right? Anybody try? Like, I, I try all the time. It's like, oh, I'm going to do better, and then you fail. Like, oh, I'm not going to do it this time. Oh, and then I fail. It's like, every effort that I put out there fails. But when I come to Jesus and recognize that he's the one who's doing the transformation, and I submit to his authority in my life, that's when I begin to experience not condemnation, but I begin to experience his love. See, so many folks are going through life working hard to try and appease God or please God. And you know what? None of your effort is going to matter 
It's not going to make you clean. But God showed his love that while we were still a mess, still covered in muck, you know, we have some chores at our home. One of the chores is to pick up the dog poop. And every once in a while, the dog poop picks up us instead, you know. You didn't see it there, and you turn around, and you just and you feel it, you smell it, you hear the squish. And like, I am soiled. Ah, I, I don't know about you, but there's this shudder that runs from the top of my head down my spine. Like, ah. Especially when you can hear it. You know it's fresh, and you're like, and I see several people oozing in their seats. And I want us to get that picture. I want you to feel that yuck. Because that sin, the garbage, the, the soil of your life, it's not that I was working in the garden and I got some dirt under my fingernails. Like, this is garbage. And you don't want that in your house. God doesn't go, you know, it's just a little bit of dog poop. Come on in on the white carpet. It's cool. No, no, no. No, and, and there's times when maybe one of the kids has been doing the job and they come running in and you smell it before they leave the, the, the hard surfaces of the kitchen because we have our, our kitchens right off the back door. And like, stop! <laughs> Let's get them cleaned up first. Now, Jesus does the cleaning up. And this life is not the fully about a cleanup process. That's part of it, but it's not the life. Like my, I, my goal for my children is not to set them down and just clean their boots over and over all day, every day. Like The point is not the cleaning, right? The point is the living. And, and you, I want them to be welcomed into the home. God wants to welcome all of us into his home, but we can't do so if we're covered in muck. And so he shows his great love. That same passage, Romans 5, continues in verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You see the picture? That, that we are welcomed in where the mess of our sin is recognized because of what Jesus did on the cross, what we celebrated of not only his death but his resurrection. We are now clean. And I am whole and in right relationship, and now I'm considered a friend of God. And I can be in his pristine presence. Anybody ever get into one of those houses that you feel dirty walking into it? Now, I've been in a few of those places, and you walk in, you're like, oh, I do not belong here. Wow. Uh, there were one of those uh, times that I went into a place and they had... Um, the, the vinyl covers on the white seats. You know, it's like everything, is, you can smell the cleaner, it's fresh, you know? It's like, wow, I just don't, I don't, I don't fit here at all. And coming into the presence of God is like that. 
I don't belong here. And yet, he is welcoming you in. I love you. I want you to be with me. And here's what it's going to take. Death. It takes death. Not just the death of Jesus, but your death. Where you lay your life down, your ambitions, your hopes, your plans. You die to you, and I'm going to give you life. That's a scary thing. We do a, a ceremony to commemorate this transformation, water baptism. When you can see it in some people's eyes. When you go, they sit down or they, they stand at the water, and they're about to be dropped backwards and dunked underwater, and there's this twinge of fear. Are they going to let me back up again? <laughs> like, how much do I trust this pastor? How much do I trust this guy or this gal who's about to hold me underwater? Like, are, are they evaluating how sinful I am, and am I going to have to stay under longer if they think I need it? And there's that trust that we have to exhibit. And when we come to God, there's a similar trust that's required. But here's the thing. Death is not the end plan. God didn't do all of this with Jesus just for him to die, right? Because if Jesus didn't rise again, what's the point? Everything he said about himself, everything he did, if he didn't actually come back to life, it means nothing. And so that's the second point. God's plan leads us through the cross. It's not just to the cross, it's through the cross, to life eternal. But not just a, a ticket to heaven. See, that's the other error that a lot of folks make, is they think that if I come to Jesus, I get my sins forgiven, I get my ticket to heaven, and then I'll, I'll just wait for the train to come, and then away we go, right? We're going to you know, shoot up in the clouds and, and play a harp or have wings or something. I don't know, but I get to go be with God forever. Awesome. And then we just go about our daily life waiting for that to happen. And that's not the point either. The point is life now. Life for you now. God's life for you flowing through you now. And there's a future that's eternal. But God didn't want us to just come to the cross to wallow in our sinfulness and go, oh, I'm such a terrible person, and to consider, be constantly thinking that you know, I'm, uh, I'm wicked and awful and, and all of these things, right? But to really receive the grace of God, to really experience his forgiveness and then life after that. So what's life after the cross look like? John Chapter 1, verse 33. Go back to this passage. John says, I didn't know that Jesus was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. See, there's something more going on here. It's not just for us to get the experience of forgiveness, but also to be immersed in the very Spirit of God, that his Holy Spirit would be all around us and in us and flowing through us. Paul repeatedly tells the believers to be filled with the Spirit. 
John 1.34. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. And so this is just the beginning. This experience with Christ is just the beginning. You know, I've experienced much of this for myself. Um, I grew up in church, uh, so we were there on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. Uh, I went to harvest parties and because uh, we didn't have Halloween parties. You know, we are good Christians. Uh, we were there for Christmas pageants. Uh, if the doors were open, we were there as a family. And at five years old, I knew enough of the stories of Jesus. I knew that to have a relationship with God, I needed to ask him into my heart. And so I prayed a simple prayer by myself in my bedroom, five years old. Dear Jesus, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Amen. That was my relationship with Jesus at that point. And I, I ran downstairs. I told my mom. She was all excited. She started crying. She's so happy for me. And, and there was a beginning, but I didn't really know Christ yet. I wasn't experiencing the fullness of relationship, right? So fast forward, uh, I'm 12 years old. I go to a summer camp, and I get to experience God for myself in a whole new way. And, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and amazing uh, experiences with God that are really hard to even describe. But suddenly, it was abundantly clear that God was not just some thing or someone written about in history books or this collection called the Bible. But God is alive and active now. Like, I can experience him. I can have a relationship with him. He talks to me, and when I talk to him, he answers back. And then there's assignments and there's tasks that I get to do, and we're doing this together. And it's not so much that I'm having to earn my way, but I am participating with the work of God in the world. So again, fast forward to being a senior in high school and sensing from God that he was calling me to be a preacher and I was going to travel the world and, and people were going to get saved. You know, that was far more than I could have ever imagined, more than I could have asked for, more than I could have thought and dreamed about. You know, I was going to be an architect, an engineer. Like, I like math. I like Legos. I build stuff. Like, yeah, that'd be a good career. And God had you know, way more. Nah, there's something more. Something more for you than just going through the motions. And so whether you're uh, doing a what would the world would consider a menial task or some high-profile job, that nothing is insignificant. There's no career that God's like, oh, this is the, the ultimate that I want for you in a job. It's about a life and relationship with him, wherever you're at. So over these next several weeks, we're going to be digging deeper into what does it mean to have this sort of life-giving, empowering relationship where God is not just speaking to you, but is literally flowing through you to the world around you. Just a bit of a preview at the end of Mark's gospel, Jesus said that there were there's certain marks of his followers. That they're going to pray for the sick and they're going to recover. You know, people will be healed in Jesus' name. Signs, wonders, miracles, amazing, inexplicable things happen through 
Jesus people, through Christians. And the question for all of us is, am I at a place right now where I'm willing to let God do something in me that is bigger than I could ask or imagine? Infinitely bigger. Am I willing to give up my plans for this afternoon, for tomorrow, for my future, in exchange for what he has planned for me? Am I willing to step out of my comfort zone? It's a good question. And I wrestle with that for myself a lot. I'm like, man, Lord, I, I, want, I want you to have full reign in my life, but I'm also scared. And so I just want to give us a couple opportunities. You know, one, if you're, you're watching, listening, or you're here today, and you haven't started that relationship, you recognize, you know what, um, I haven't really turned to Jesus. I haven't come to the cross even and asked for forgiveness of sins. But I want to give us opportunity to do that. If you pray with me now, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am indeed a sinner. I thank you that you have accomplished my salvation on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would receive me into your family. Make me clean. That I can be in your presence. And then, Lord, fill me with your spirit. That I might know you. Maybe that leads us into that second point where you've already accepted Christ for salvation. And, and this is invitation for you. But you know what? There's more that God has. Infinitely more. And yeah, it can be scary. Yeah, I don't know what this looks like, but I'm willing to draw near to God. I'm willing to let him have his way. And if we do that, if we start taking steps to God, then the Bible assures us that he will make steps toward us. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, the Bible says. So let's do that in prayer as well. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your salvation. And Lord, I commit to drawing near to you over these next seven weeks. Lord, I want you to do in me all that you imagine. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lead me in your plans. And thank you for the promise that you have infinitely more in store for those who trust in you. So, Lord, have your way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the beginning of a journey. Oftentimes we think that following Jesus is going to be, you know, checking a box. I pray a prayer. Okay, I got my church fixed or something like that. Well, this is, this is relationship. And just as we started, we started talking about the relationship or fellowship. You can have a relationship without intimacy. And we are moving into intimacy. And it takes work, right? For those of you who have uh, a relationship with someone uh, in the flesh, you know, you've got a marriage, relation, marriage relationship or you're moving towards marriage, you know that those relationships take work. It takes time. 
And the same goes for a relationship with God. But I guarantee you that he will always meet you as you draw near to him. And so let's start this together. Amen? As my little daughter's coming up here, giving me loves. I think that's our sign. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, we're going to end our time together here uh, physically um, with prayer. So if you have a prayer need of some kind, um, then you know, let's gather together um, still, of course, observing our uh, distancing requirements. Um, but share with the person in the vehicle next to you, um, you know, hey, would you pray for us in this thing? Um, and we'll just pray aloud briefly, um, or if the Lord leads, make it longer. Uh, but if you have any physical needs to, that need prayer or uh, people that you'd like us to pray uh, and agree with you for their healing, uh, we'd love to do that. Um, and so, yeah, we'll just continue in uh, being the church because it's, it's more than just coming and listening to a sermon. It's more than uh, singing songs, that we are better together. And that's why we're going to the efforts we are to make this happen. So Lord bless you as you pray that you would experience this power and presence. Amen? Amen.